Hello, welcome back everybody. SF Live episode 160. It's Thursday. It's Discovery Thursday. That means we present to you a company that is either very small in market cap, pre-discovery stage, or just generally unknown in the market. And I think we found a decent one today to introduce you to. It's Troubadour Resources Inc. And uh, I'll be joined by Jeff Schellenberg in a few short seconds. Uh, he's president and one of the directors of the company. I'm quite excited to chat with him. And uh, we're going to, of course, remind you that this is an interactive format. It's uh, use hashtag ask. TR, that's the company's ticker on the Venture Exchange, or use the YouTube chat for your questions if you're inclined to get uh, anything to out towards uh, Jeff here as well. I'm sure we'll get to it and we'll answer those questions. But also, please be reminded to follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter. Make sure to turn on that uh, bell notification as well as we do all our interviews live. That way you do have an advantage over the replay crowd, we call them here, and uh, you can get it firsthand directly from the CEO, as close as we can get to a live in-person experience. Now, let me switch over to Jeff. Jeff, thanks for joining us. How are you? Great. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it's great to introduce you to uh, Discovery Thursday to our, to our audience. I think you have an interesting little project or a couple of interesting projects here in uh, in British Columbia, Southern British Columbia. Can't wait to talk about it. Um, but before we get started with some of the details, like why don't you give us a quick 30, 60 second summary uh, of Troubadour Resources? Okay, um, relatively new company. We listed in 2018, um, tight share structure. We have two main assets, the Amarillo, which is an early stage copper porphyry target, and then we the newly acquired Texas high-grade gold project, both in southern BC, located in and around um, one southwest of Kelowna, one southeast of Kelowna, if you're familiar with the area. Slightly. I haven't been to Kelowna only a couple times so far, but uh, I know I'm, I need to go out there for some more wine tastings. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that's what it's known for. Great. Um, since you know the number one reason for, or the number one criteria for investors looking at companies, of course, management, right? So that's the number one checkbox everybody goes to look at. That's the first thing I go check when I go on a company's website. And uh, I've noticed one thing: like you're working together with your dad. And uh, that's correct. run us through a bit of the history. How did that come together? Like, you know, who's who's Jeff Schellenberg actually? Well. I was born into a exploration family, essentially. So my dad got into the business in the uh, mid to late 80s, and that's around when I was born. So I grew up in an exploration household. Um, he, my dad's a geologist uh, by trade. I went a slightly different route. I ended up going through commerce at UBC. Um, so, but I essentially just went straight to work for the family business growing up. So I've been in the business since birth, essentially. Um, I know the ups and downs. Um, so you get that that inside feel for the business. You know what works and what doesn't. And um, working with my dad, it, it's some people might think it's difficult. Yeah, we we do disagree from time to time, but uh, we get along great. Um, we have complementary traits. That uh, he sometimes talks me back from some crazy ideas, which is good. That's the experience he has. And um, yeah, it's it's an industry I'll be involved with. Forever, probably. Yeah, uh, uh, young rebel. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great though. Like your dad is more of the geologist. You're more, as you said, more on the commerce side. So that's quite complimentary. And that's why I'm assuming we're talking, and I'm not interviewing your dad, right? Yeah, like he'd love to do the interviews too. Um, but I, I do have quite a bit of technical knowledge on the geology side, just from being around it. Um, just because I didn't don't have that BSc and PGO um, doesn't mean I don't know what's going on. Um, <laughs> Uh, within our group as well, we run a private services uh, geological consulting company. So we do a lot of work for other um, juniors and mid-sized companies uh, around Canada and worldwide. So there, there's a lot of technical knowledge here, and that's 
the basis of our our background as well. We rely heavily on the the technical side from the the private consulting company. That's interesting. That's a fact I didn't know beforehand. That uh, is, is actually also a great segue because um, we like to talk shareholdership or capital structure before we dive into the projects as well. And uh, close associates actually hold twenty five percent of the company. Right, so that those are investors that are actually technically savvy enough to know what is happening on the ground. And uh, why don't you give us a bit more overview? Like, who who are those close associates? And you mentioned you run a consultancy within uh, your office there as well. So give us an overview there. Mm -hmm. Yep. So um, the close associates are uh, a lot of our geologists that we have on staff, as well as other individuals who um, run associated public companies uh, within our group. Um, and on the, the private services side, um, it's, we, it, the company's called Coast Mountain Geological. So we, we do work for probably a lot of the, the companies you've had on your show. Um, we, we manage the field programs for them and execute on their exploration plans. So we do see a lot of different projects and deal flow through the office. And we like to think we get pretty good at identifying potential in these projects or and identifying possible acquisitions for the public companies within the group. Interesting, interesting. And is that how the the Texas acquisition came along? And I'm getting ahead of myself here. Is that something you saw through uh, your group coming through and you thought this is something you need to jump on? It is, yeah. And um, there's just some special traits about the Texas project that um, that definitely made it attractive yeah. that we can touch on Did here we, in a little exactly. bit. Exactly. We're going to get to Texas. As I said, I got ahead of myself there, but I felt like that question needed to be asked. Uh, let's, let's finish capital structure real quick. Do you want to give us quick the, the, the cliff notes there on the cap structure? Yeah, cap structure. So there's 35 million shares outstanding, 40, little under 46 million fully diluted. Um, insider ownerships about 16%, and you add on top the 25% close associates ownership, so it takes you up to a little over 40% um, controlled and, and locked away quite securely. Uh, we did just complete a, a financing, uh, $720,000 financing, which is enough to execute on our uh, immediate exploration plans. We wanted to keep the financing somewhat limited just to maintain that tight share structure at this point in time, because we do feel there's probably going to be opportunities down the road to uh, to access additional capital at just more favorable valuations. Sounds interesting. And uh, did management insiders participate in that financing or where did the money come from? Uh, we participated a little bit. Um, uh, to be honest, our allocations kept on getting cut back uh, just due to demand. We probably could have well oversubscribed the financing and, and raised well north of a million dollars. Um, but we decided it, it, we didn't need to at this point in time to execute on the initial, like you said, the initial exploration plans. Yeah, from an investor point of view, the terms were actually quite attractive. 12 cents with a full warrant at 18. So uh, half warrant. Oh, half, half warrant. Warrant Okay, perfect. The better then. Then it's not as attractive for investors. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, we, we had some comments about that saying we were, we were kind of a little bit cheap on the warrant side of things. But again, the no. demand was there. We didn't have no, to give a full warrant. If you don't have to do that and if the quality warrants it, don't do it. Like I'm an investor. Of course, I want to see the full warrant. But from a company perspective, you don't right. want to issue a warrant. So half warrant is probably meeting in the middle there. So that, yeah, definitely. that makes sense. All right, I think we covered everything in the capital structure. Um, warrant exercise price at 18 cents. Options, I'm sure that's mostly management and insiders like that's been that have been awarded yeah. it. I think it's pretty clean. Like there's not much to talk about. It's tight. I think we can wrap this this up. Let's let's move on to the projects. Um, so you you yeah. raised money, and that's a good segue as well. So you raised seven hundred twenty thousand dollars. Like, what's the total cash position, working capital position right now? Uh, work caps about seven hundred and fifty to eight hundred thousand dollars at this current point in time. 
Um, we like again, we had kept the the structure intact um, to fund the acquisition. Uh, we had about a quarter million dollars come back on our mineral exploration tax credit from the government of BC. So so that that kept the lights on and allowed us to execute on um, the acquisition of this asset, the Texas Gold Project, and um, essentially fund the uh, round phase one of exploration last fall. Great. So. We were able to do a lot with very little. Okay, so seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars is still quite a little, actually. But what? So what are the plans? How are you planning to spend that money? Uh, the plan is to to get the drill turning on the the gold project uh, in a, in about a month's time, and the budget for that work is about four hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and we'll drill an initial two thousand meters uh, for that. Drilling costs are relatively uh, low in this part of uh, BC. Everything's road accessible. Infrastructure is great. Um, so comparative to say projects in northern bc or the golden triangle we're a fraction of the drilling cost which is why we don't need to raise a lot of money at this point in time and and we're able to execute on that 2000 meters of drilling um with more than adequately with the money we raised i was gonna say that's uh, that is quite cheap that's what t- top of my head that's 200 dollars a meter but that includes essays and everything that's all in that's everything yeah i think that's a great rate yeah that's that's fantastic so that makes a lot of sense so yeah so like you say it, it, southern bc is attractive just based on the infrastructure um you're able to do a lot with a little yeah. and you mentioned gold project let's clarify that's the texas project right yeah the texas yeah project. so um let, let's talk about texas because you only talk uh, you acquired it in 2020 and uh, we, we briefly touched on it you saw it come through your office of course like what attracted you to it what was that just like okay we got to have this uh the grade is what made us go wow initially um, the, the vendor had taken a few samples um, on the property and they came back close to eight ounces per ton gold, which is in- incredible. And when you start looking at the Beaverdale camp itself, which is where the Texas project is located, the Beaverdale camp is historically known as a silver producer. It produced about 35 million ounces of silver um, starting in the late 1890s, right through until about 1991, which is when the Highland Bell mine shut down. And the Highland Bell mine was the longest running uh, producing silver mine in um, North America there for a bit. So there's a lot of history in the Beaverdale area itself. Um, but what we're seeing on the Texas project is high grade gold with great silver grades as well. Um, and plus or minus some, some base metal credits as well. So that made us go, hmm, what, what is going on with this particular property that we're seeing these gold grades? Um, and in the historic uh, Beaverdale Highland Bell mine literature, there is reference to gold grades increasing at depth. Um, so they, they started to see a little bit better gold grades, but nothing like what we're seeing initially on this project based on the uh, the historical information available and the the exploration program we completed. Uh, you mentioned historical information available, like who, who was working on the project before and what did you actually get when you acquired the project in terms of data? Um, there was very little data uh, supplied when we acquired it. A lot of the data was available in the public domain um, through old assessment reports. And um, there's some turn of the century mining work as well. So you end up going back to the old news articles that reference some some grades. Um, for example, there's two tons taken out of the midnight group up to the north of the Texas property that came that graded a little over two ounces per ton. That's referenced in the newspaper article. So you really have to dig back through um, and, and dig up this information. Um, and in the 70s through the 90s, there was some trenching work done on this project, uh, especially in and around the Durand. That, that was trenched 
quite a bit. Um, so there's extensive trenching up towards the cabin. That was, uh, it appears to be, have been mined uh, probably around the turn of the 1900s. And that was something that was rediscovered by the property vendor. And there is enough going on at that cabin location, which is about 300 meters north of the Dorn, that the old timers, they actually built a cabin and established themselves in that area. And the remnants of that old cabin are still there. And there's there's collapsed head frame and at it. So we don't know what they were mining there, but what happened when that head frame did collapse, it exposed a, a, probably a secondary vein there. And that's the one that graded about 18 grams per ton over 25 centimeters. So it, it's a smaller vein, but that probably wasn't what they were after. In the 1900s, half ounce material probably wasn't enough for the old timers to go after. So there, there's a lot of work to be done in that area there and then follow up on that. So you're, you're drilling, you're planning to drill. What, what are you targeting? Like, how did you do your targeting? Like, you, or are you just exploring with a drill? I don't think you are because I've seen I've no, seen some geophysics. So like like how is the targeting work? Yeah, so we we completed uh, extensive tight tightly spaced soil sampling, um, rock sampling, mapping, and uh, a ground mag survey over the highest priority target area, which is the area between the Duran and the cabin. And and what that outlined is a pre predominant north-south structure that um, our, our technical team believes that's what's controlling the mineralization. And we're also seeing secondary structures that cross-cut that. Um, so where those two structures meet is where we're seeing the grade. So we're not exactly sure what's happening there, but that, those are the targets. Uh, we, we know there's grade there based on our, our sampling. Um, and it's just figuring out exactly what those structures are doing and where the, the best grade and where, where that's going. So we will be drilling, there's, there's geochem supporting information as well as the geophysics. And combine that with the samples we've taken on surface, it's a pretty compelling story to drill those targets. And uh, when, when do you expect to start drilling? Like what's the seasonality? What does it look like on the ground? How much snow is there? Uh, the snow is pretty much gone already. Um, we had somebody up in the area last weekend just checking out uh, access and what it was looking like. So we'll, we'll get going here in, in the coming weeks, um, months time tops, and we'll have the drill on the ground. And um, you can pretty much work in that area year round, um, except maybe for when the spring breakup is in, in its peak, which is probably a couple weeks a year where it just gets too muddy to access it. Um, but but right now access is great, um, which all the planning's underway to get get the rig on the ground and get going. Fantastic. Have you secured any lap time so far, or like what's the what's the discussion there? Um, the the labs we we should be able to uh, to get our samples in before the the rush of samples from northern BC. So we'll have regular sample dispatches to go into the lab probably by early to mid May, right through the end of the program. So hopefully we're ahead of that rush. Um, the labs are what they are. We, we can't really control. I, realistically, I'd say it's probably a couple months turnaround. Um, maybe, maybe it's less and that, that's a good surprise, but I think you got to take a realistic approach and don't don't overpromise and underdeliver. And uh, that's 2000 meter program. Like how, how are you dividing that? How, how deep do you have to drill? What's the what's the plant depth? All these targets are near surface. Um, so the initial drill plan is probably not to exceed 150 to 200 meters um, in any drill hole. There, there's probably going to be some short holes, 75 meters. Um, <laughs> that's, so you get a lot of holes out of this, uh, this program. 
And we, we've secured a, a track-mounted drill, um, is what we're looking at, putting on site. So the moves are going to be relatively easy. Once you're onto something, it's easy just to step out and just, just keep, on, keep on drilling. Interesting, okay. And uh, you're the first one drilling, just to clarify. That those are the first holes ever going into the project, correct? In this particular location, yeah. Um, there was some drilling over on the Wombat, which is on the eastern side of the property. It was very limited. Um, again, a lot of trenching occurred up in that area. Um, the property vendor had taken some samples up there. They came back about an ounce and a half gold. So there's definitely some grade up there. The drilling that was completed, I believe, in the 90s up in that area returned anomalous numbers. Um, they, were, they were narrow intersections of, of grade. Um, so there's still a lot more to go and look at up there. Um, it looks like the previous operators spent a lot of time trenching um, and not very much drilling, which that, that's the danger when you only have a very limited drill budget, say a few hundred meters, the, the risks of missing are quite high. <laughs> well, you're trying to like, what is it? HQs like this big, like you're trying to hit something, right? Yeah. So yeah, no, that's, that's difficult. Um, you have a five-year drill permit in place and you mentioned track mounted that, that prompted another question. That's more social permit, social permit to operate. Uh, what does that look like in the area there? Uh, the area, there's there's overlapping First Nations interests, um, and we've been in pretty steady conver um, conversation with them, um, and and making sure we were listening to their concerns. Um, the, the town of Beaverdale itself, the property is located about three kilometers south. Um, Beaverdale was established because of mining, so the community is quite pro resource development, um, and just in the conversations with our, our one person we had on site on the um, last weekend. Um, stopped and talked to quite a few of the locals and they're all quite excited that some activity is going to be going on in the area. So, um, yeah, things are all pointing in the right direction. Yeah, but you don't have any First Nations agreements in place yet. Is that something you're working on? Like, what's the goal for that? There's there's no agreements in place at this time. Uh, it's a little bit early for that. Uh, th that conversation is ongoing. And, and once we get further down the road with this asset, um, it's something that will be visited for sure. Gotcha. Um, well, you bought Texas in 2020. You used to operate the Amarillo project before then. And so I got to ask you, like, why did you feel the need to add a second project to the to the to the company? Um, we've always been on the lookout for additional assets. Um, it's hard to be a, a junior exploration company with only one asset. Um, you're kind of painted as only only one asset. So if you, you don't have great success on that asset initially, um, it, it does affect people's opinions of the company. So having some optionality in a second quality asset, that, that's something we've been looking at for quite a while. And so we, we made the, uh, the opportunity came up, we, we went after this, this project and um, the option deal is quite an easy one. It's 100% over two years, essentially, um, 3 million shares and $80,000 in cash. And the property vendor, um, he, he's a friendly party with us. We've done business with him in the past. So um, th those shares are in, in safe hands um, as well. Like some people might think 3 million shares is quite a lot, but to put it in perspective, at the time we were trading at about 5 cents. Today we're at 15, 16 cents. So the, the valuation there, it made sense at the time. No, and I was jokingly asking you before uh, we went live here as well, like, like how well do you know the vendors? Like how experienced is he or he or she in the, in the capital markets as well? Because uh, summer is coming up, so I don't want to be hit with 3 million shares because the, the gentleman or the, the woman might need a new boat for the summer, right? So, yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to be yeah, fighting well, that in well, the market, so right? 
Yeah, th- those shares are in safe hands, and and we talk to uh, the the property vendor. We talk to him on a regular basis, so um, th- there won't be any issues there. And uh, we've only made the initial payment on the property. The the second payment will be due in January 2022. So he only has a million and a half shares, so the boat wouldn't be too big anyways. Okay. Well, a little fishing vessel, you know. You never know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Um, let's, let's briefly talk about the Amarillo Copper Project as well. Um, you you put out some news the other day about it as well. Um. It's not far from Kodiak Copper's MPD project, actually. It's a quite favorable area to be in. And uh, let, let's talk about, give us the cliff notes on it and what are you what are you doing on it right now? Okay, yeah, uh, the, the Amarillo is located 35 kilometers just to the east of uh, Kodiak's MPD and um, 10 kilometers south of the past producing Brenda mine. So Brenda's the, uh, the mine you see as you're driving from Vancouver to Kelowna, you're going down the big hill towards West Kelowna there. That's what you see on the right-hand side, that's Brenda. So just to give the the viewers a a bit of a geographical uh, reference there. And uh, we just completed an uh, airborne VTEM mag survey over the entire claim group uh, on the Amarillo. And um, based on the initial results we saw from that, uh, we did pick up a little bit more ground. And um, what we saw in the initial data was in the direction that we were chasing this porphyry in the last drill program. We knew we needed to move to the southwest and and that's where we started to move the drill and then of course budget constraints they, they limit how much you can do uh, but we did see anomalous results in that uh, last round of drilling in 2019 so we knew we were on to something and um, this latest airborne data definitely supports that and and we're looking at a sizable anomaly that will be need some follow-up work um in, in the future here gotcha gotcha um let, let's let's sum it up here at this point i think main focus obviously is texas you're drilling there uh, you're going to probably do some more field work at Amarillo at this point. Um, any other catalysts we're missing that we should be looking forward to in the next three, six months? Um, th- those are the two main catalysts. Um, like you say, there's a lot of excitement around this this Texas drill program. Um, just the chatter even around our office here. Um, we haven't been this excited about a drill program in quite a while. Um, so th- there's a lot of excitement and anticipation, and I think we're in for an exciting few months here. Awesome. It's great timing to have you on, like April 1st. So let's hope it doesn't turn into an April Fool's joke. And uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, I'm quite excited to see that as well. So I'm quite excited to, for you to start drilling. So good good luck with that. And thanks for coming on the program. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot. Have for having yeah, me. Yeah, no, uh, this was Jeff Schellenberg. He's actually president of Trubudo Resources. This was a Discovery Thursday episode, episode 160 of SF Live. Make sure to follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, and uh, don't forget to turn that bell notification on as well as we do all our interviews live. That way you do have an advantage over our replay viewers. And uh, make sure you use that to your advantage, of course. And uh, that's it from our end. Happy Easter. It's a long weekend here. Markets are open on Monday, and uh, we'll see you then. Thanks so much.